Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in Los Angeles, California. I'm also a well-known speaker on topics like COSO implementation for the new framework, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, internal auditing, and related topics. Today's interview is with Sajay Rai. He has more than 30 years of experience in information technology, specializing in particular information security, business continuity, privacy, IT auditing, and information risk. He is the founder and CEO of Securely Yours, which is focused on delivering innovative solutions through delivery channels like software as a service or managed services and the traditional IT consulting. Prior to starting Securely Yours, Sajay was a partner with Ernst & Young for 10 years and led the uh, information advisory practice in the Detroit metro area. He also worked with IBM for 13 years and was instrumental in starting the company's information security consulting practice and managing its tech consulting practice in Latin America. Sajay also co-authored a recent uh, a recently published book called Defending the Digital Frontier, a security agenda. So you can download that on your Kindle or order that on Amazon. Uh, and that book guides businesses and IT executives on how to develop an effective and efficient information security program within their enterprise. He also wrote a recent article called Auditing Governance of Critical Information in the Institute of Internal Auditors magazine. Mr. Rai is a member of the IA's Advanced Technology Committee and serves on the board of ISACA Detroit Chapter and is a regular speaker at industry conferences on information security, business continuity, technology strategy, and is frequently quoted in magazines and newspapers. Welcome, Sanjay. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be with you. Excellent. So let's get started. Sanjay, in your practical experience, would you share the top one or two techniques a company could implement to monitor and track critical assets and classified data? From our experience, uh, Sonia, we tell our clients to have a three-step approach to uh, classifying uh, or, or safeguarding the critical assets. Uh, the first step is to classify the uh, information uh, the second is uh, to label it, and the third is to protect it. Uh, so the, if, if you go back to the first step, classifying data, this is where we would tell what information is valuable to the organization and, and classify it accordingly. So typically, we do it either confidential or secret or any of those uh, type of classification. But then we start to use the the labeling part where we uh, attach a metadata to the information to make sure that we can track that information from that point forward. And with the current technologies we have, we can easily do that. And then the third step, of course, is to secure and protect that information. So those are the techniques we use uh, to uh, track and uh, protect critical assets. You know, it sounds just to translate it to what some of our audience members, um, uh, in terms of what they they typically do day in and day out, uh, which is auditing. It's it's it almost sounds like a fixed asset where you're, you know, you're identifying it, you're labeling it. Is it a chair, a table, et cetera, And then you're securing it. But for the most part, it's a physical security of it. 
but in, in the IT you know data realm, it's it's similar. We're using the same kind of buckets, uh, but we're just leveraging like for example, you said labeling and, and creating metadata and securing it. So uh, it it's very similar to what we would do phys with physical stuff, right? In accounting, it is, uh, but, but now we're doing it for the electronic aspect. Now we're doing it for the electronic. Now, what what should good uh, data classification program include? Since we're talking about classification, labeling, and then securing it, but what would a good data classification program include? Well, typically, what we have found is almost every organization has a classification policy, uh, but how they implement that policy across their organization has always been a challenge. Classification programs have done well within government organizations, specifically like DOD, uh, Department of Defense. But when it comes to private organizations, uh, not much has been successful besides defining the policy. So what I suggest a good data classification program must include is not only the policy, but some details about the procedures and examples of how a user would go about classifying certain data and give examples of what an organization thinks. For example, a design of a new engine coming out, maybe a trade secret classification versus a unannounced financial results, maybe confidential. Uh, so that type of guidance to users would help. Then, of course, the use of tools and technologies to point and click so that the user can have an ease with which they can identify or tag the data, like I said, with the metadata. So that's an important element of the program. The one element which we miss uh, sometimes in this whole rollout of data classification program is the awareness and training, which goes a long way for the users to really understand what the whole program is and how they can participate and contribute to the program. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that's great advice in terms of the policy and procedure aspect because we see it often even in the finance realm and even in the IT realm. Um, but I, I really love the fact that you're also honing in on the training aspect because there's been several studies that just because somebody went to a conference and or attended a webinar, what have you, it doesn't mean that they've absorbed 100% of that information. So it's not just a one-time training uh, aspect. It's continuous training and aligning it. What we found best is, is aligning it with those core areas of whether it's high risk or a material account or a material, um, let's say, policy and procedure that, look, we, we just really cannot screw this up. You know, it's too important. And you know, the fact that you've mentioned the training element, just because you have a policy and procedure manual, it's not supposed to be something dusty and off the shelf. It's, you know, training and aligning other continuous training to that as well to really hit a home run in an effective program. Exactly. And, and that also includes the training of the tools and technologies, which some of the end users may not be savvy in terms of use of technology. So it helps them understand better what tools are available to help them classify their data. Yeah. So how does a company engage the end user in their data classification program, and, and how do they ensure that the, the procedures are implemented properly? Like I said, you know, a monitoring mechanism. How, how would you recommend a company do that? 
Well, the end users actually, Sonia, play a very critical role in the overall data classification program. The, the organizations where the IT uh, group has tried to do data classification themselves, they fail or they run into many roadblocks. But when the end users are involved, because they're the ones who are actually close to all this critical information, they can relate to what the classification should be. And once they are trained with the appropriate tools and procedures, uh, they become a key element in making sure that not only the critical information is identified within the organization, but it is properly classified and tagged using the appropriate tools. So, so end users definitely uh, engaging them, training them, and then getting them involved in the program is key to the success of the program. Yes, and I wanted to switch gears a little bit about mobile devices because they seem to be uh, not only anywhere, but they're uh, everywhere, meaning in our hands, in our uh, homes, um, at the office. You know, we've got two or three devices. So with the influx of, of technology and, and more importantly mobile devices especially, do you think it's even possible to have real security and management of, of these smart devices? Uh, Sonia, just like any other new technology, when it first comes out, it has its flaws. Uh, in, in the smart device case, this is probably the first time I can remember in 30-plus years where IT was not the one pushing the technologies. It was the end users who really liked the iPads and the iPhones and started to use the smart devices uh, um, before even IT could figure out how they're going to incorporate it into the corporate world. So, so to some degree, IT kind of got uh, caught with this, but, but I still think it is possible with even the existing tools and technologies available uh, to secure the information on smart devices. But it's the growing pains every organization is going through because it's new, the experience is limited, and the, uh, and the uh, tools and uh, uh, technology is developing as we see it. So that's a very interesting observation you're, you're mentioning. In the last 30 years, you saw the end user pushing it. Now it's, it's the other way around because uh, uh, the IT department, um, I'm, I'm sure they're one of the, the early adopters of, an, of, of the new iPhone or iPad or iMini, whatever they're calling these devices these days, and they're, they've already got a big sense of how to align to the core strategy of what they want to push um, because I do recall the days where, you know, an end user really liked a BlackBerry, and then another end user would want uh, an iPhone, for example. And um, and back in the day, I think it was what the Palm operating system. So, so they would they would pick these things out, and the IT department was like, "Well, wait a minute, I never authorized this, or this is just happening now." And now exactly. I, I can even see in some audit situations where. It's just a policy. They're not going to support everything. The company is going to either issue you a BlackBerry slash iPhone whatever, but this is the device, and this is how you're allowed to use it. Here's the security policy, et cetera. So now it's, it's, it's the other way around. Um, I, I see it as well in, in some of our audit clients. Now, Sanjay, how do you think it, it came to be that such an important part of our day-to-day -day lives um, snuck past the IT world and, and became so heavily used without firewalls and security measures properly um, put in place? I mean, how do you think that 
snuck past some of the IT uh, world? I, I think to some degree it is that uh, when the end users were using Blackberries, they were so used to having the emails and the information on, on the tip of their hands that they liked the idea and, and, and it was easy for IT to support it because one, uh, the BlackBerry Enterprise Server was a, um, a fairly uh, robust server with a lot of uh, cool features in it, but it was also a very secure uh, server. But when the smart devices started to be iPads, iPhones, Android phones, etc., that that um, bad type quality did not exist uh, with the other servers, and that caused the the issues with the IT world, but by then the end users had already started to use the iPads and iPhones, and I was kind of caught what to do from a security and the serviceability perspective, and, and that's why I think it kind of snuck past them. Mm-hmm. Right. It was that with different end users that were early adopters of different products and or different ways of using it, and then IT was kind of well, wait a minute, you know, our network's safe, but now you're starting to add devices that we may not be uh, up to par to kind of, yeah, to, to add those security measures. So what steps do you think mobile device management solutions will, will take? And more importantly, what should the first step towards safe use of these devices be? I think the mobile device management uh, solutions, uh, which are out in the marketplace, did a good job of, uh, becoming like Bez type or BlackBerry Enterprise Server type of solution. Some actually mirror the BlackBerry Enterprise Server almost to a T where the security is pretty robust, whereas others are uh, have different architectures in terms of managing and securing the devices. So it, and some of them work well with the operating systems uh, in, on the corporate side, for example, the mail server exchange, etc. cetera. Uh, I, as I see the evolving of the mobile device management solutions, that they're going to inter- integrate more and more with the operating systems on the uh, smart device side. Uh, for example, you may, you noticed recently the iOS 7 uh, came out with uh, very neat features in, in terms of security where they have single sign-on capability built into it, they have a, a single app uh, VPN availability. So those type of features I see more and more being added into the devices, which will work well with the uh, mobile device management solutions. So, so what you're saying is that the mobile devices are taking um, a lesson of a little bit of what BlackBerry had, but more importantly, I, I like the mention that you made about those single sign-ons because our, our clients like those single sign-ons. In the past, I remember... I remember distinctively you'd go, you'd walk uh, to any client uh, and you're about to do an audit and there would be these yellow post-its, okay, and they had various items on it, but they would say, for example, Oracle and or you know payroll something, right? And then they'd have uh, something else written down, and then you'd see other post-its, and then there was meaning the the actual area where they needed a login and, and basically they were keeping these post-its because they had to sign on to multiple right. areas once they got into the network. And that was by far some of the biggest complaints we had, which is 
look, I'm here. I, I really am the person trying to access what what is rightfully mine to access. I just want to sign on once per day because this is taking anywhere from five to ten minutes of my time logging off, logging on, logging off, logging on. And, and I would see these post-its, and it was because they had multiple sign-ons to go on a bunch of different areas. Yeah, including so, the passwords. Uh, I think we have not reached the full single sign-on Nirvana yet, but we're at least getting towards it uh, more and more. So we, we see the light at the end of the tunnel, I hope. So We sure do. So should smart devices be part of the overall security for, for corporations? I think it's, it's not that, that the smart devices are part of uh, security for corporations, but it is an integral part of the applications and productivity tool which the corporates are going to be using. So we cannot walk away from it. It is going to be part of our lives, and it is up to us to see uh, through various channels of all people process technology how to make it more secure. So that is... Uh, uh, I think the security will play a role in the use of smart devices within corporate world, but it is the driving forces, of course, the productivity and the ease of use. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not going away, so you can't ignore it. Now you've got uh, corporations need to figure out, okay, well, now how are we going to really integrate it with our core strategy of what we really need to do with those devices? Correct. And the currently, the, the biggest concern I have it is uh, we talked about the data classification early where we talked about metadata and mm-hmm. tagging the data. We still haven't figured out yet as to how to make that metadata continue on on a smart device. We have figured out to some degree how the metadata travels within the corporate network, but we just haven't figured out yet how the metadata can continue on to a smart device so we can carry over the classification of the data onto the smart device. And I'm sure within the next few months or years, we'll have that. But today, that, from a security perspective, that is the bigger challenge the corporations are facing. Wow. So, but, but the good news is, is that it's on the horizon to be solved. That problem looks like it's going to be solved at least in the next year, which is great. Um, what does BYOD stand for? Well, BYOD started out, it stands for uh, bring your own device. And it started out with the cost of computing. Every organization was looking. Uh, the IT started to look at uh, laptops initially because uh, users had better laptops at home, their personal ones, than what the corporations were providing them. Uh, and then that uh, transcended into uh, the BYOD discussion with smart devices. Everybody has their iPhones and iPads. They want to use it, but they want to use it for corporate use as well. So that's where uh, BYOD is uh, talked about more and more now in terms of not only the laptops, but the smart devices as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like corporations realize that, you know, that employee may actually have a better device to do the function that they need to be doing at home, so there's a question mark as to, well, you know, what's really, um, the, the what's at the core issue here? I mean, do we need to just give them whatever we budgeted for a laptop or, you know, hey, wait a minute, they've got a better device that actually works, let them bring their own device. And not only that, it reduces the cost, uh, total cost of IT for the corporations too because now they don't have to buy those computers. So. Right, right. 
Now, should employers ask employees to sign off that they're in compliance with various, you know, security policies and so forth? Because we see it on the finance side, but what's your thought about, you know, these IT compliances and, and getting the, the employers to ask their employees to sign off? I think as, as soon as the employees start to use their own devices and, and uh, start to get corporate data on those devices, some kind of agreement is all is necessary. Uh, whether it's uh, each organization does it a little differently, but they do need some kind of sign off as to what those requirements or agreements are in terms of corporate data residing on the user's devices. Yeah, I um, wanted to quickly share a quick story about uh, working at Ernst and Young, which you're obviously familiar. So, if you were working on audits, in particular financial, uh, publicly traded company audits, right? You had a lot of access before it went to the street, Wall Street, about certain numbers. And every quarter, we would be getting this uh, thing from national office saying, you understand the independence rules. You understand the securities laws that apply for you auditing these types of clients. And it was a certificate, it was online, and you were forced to do it. If you, if you didn't do it, it kept bugging you, and then eventually you were going to get a phone call. Uh, I, I never got those phone calls, <laughs> but some of my colleagues got phone calls saying, what's up? Is it in your where, – where, where is it? Um, and then just on, on, on the government side, E-Verify, when they have updates, major updates, not only do they push the training – of the major update. They test you. If you score yeah. below a certain percentage, they make you go over it again. You have to take right. that training and, 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 and therefore at the end of that uh, uh, training or that, multi, it's all multiple choice uh, questions, but at the end they say congratulations, you know, you've passed. But at that level, I was very impressed about them not only pushing out new developments on that particular website, but reminding you okay, of the compliance requirements for using E-Verify. So that was another example I was, I was very impressed of quality examples of pushing compliance and saying, you're signing off on this, okay, because not only that, but I'm testing you, <laughs> and right. you can't get a, a percentage less than whatever the percentage threshold they put on, on those multiple choice questions. So um, I wanted to switch gears about worst-case scenarios. You know, uh, should employees have to sign off uh, that they are willing to have their devices wiped? Should there be, a, like, a, a significant breach that happened? Well, I think the, the challenge corporations are facing is what ability they have if the corporate data is either lost or data breach occurs or of that sort. So every organization, after going through their own culture and stuff has to decide as to what type of a setup they want to do with the employees. In a a situation where it's a personal device, uh, where the employees have their personal information like photos and other things on the device, wiping the entire device doesn't make sense. So that's why some of the MDM solutions, the mobile device management solutions, have containerization capabilities where you can carve out a device and say, okay, this container belongs to corporate world, but the rest is all personal. So the MDM solution can then wipe out a container, 
so the corporates are happy that the corporate data is uh, wiped out clean, but the personal side uh, still is maintained and the employee is happy. So there are some solutions out there. But I do agree, though, that, that the corporations probably need an ability to wipe out their corporate data if the data breach occurs or a device is lost. Mm-hmm. And and where could someone find some of those mobile device management systems where where it, it sounds like it's if you had an iPad and you're allowing the the employee to use it for um, in let's say it's their device they they purchased it etc. and then that carve out that you mentioned such that that the corporation knows okay this I I don't know folder or this app or what have you belongs right. to the corporation. Where would one look to to find some of those mobile device management solutions to say, okay, IT department, if there's an emergency or there's a breach and we need to activate something to wipe out, what solutions are out there or where where would they go to find it? Well, uh, there are several companies who are making these MDM solutions and more and more are coming almost every day. Uh, The best place or one of the places I would suggest you can go is Gardner, which is a, a fairly reputable firm in terms of IT and the direction and the strategy. Uh, they publish what they call the magic right, right-hand quadrant or magic quadrant for almost every technology in IT, including security technologies. And in, for MDM uh, vendors, they have the magic quadrant. So there are several players on the on the magic in the magic quadrant of Gardner, so good technologies is one where they have this containerization feature where um, you can uh, seg- segregate a portion of the device as a corporate container. There are other companies like Airwatch, uh, uh, Mobile Iron, Mask 360. So there's several companies out there uh, who provide these type of MDM solutions. Okay. And so Gartner is similar to what I think um, people who don't know Gartner is. I have viewed them to be very, very much an industry leader. Something like uh, I don't want to call it JD Powers because you know how they have different awards and it's based on objective data, but based on clients and customers. And then it, Gartner kind of reminds me a little bit of JD Powers, but mixed in with consumer those consumer reports where right. you know when they test. You know, cars, it's every car. If it's, you know, yeah. SUVs, it's, it's, it's all SUVs, and it's supposed to be an independent, objective study of those items. And so Gartner, for me, I've known Gartner and, and their, their product uh, in terms of what they do in terms of research and guidance, et cetera. Um, they are the thought leader in terms of uh, uh, providing the IT industry about uh, these, these quadrants, and I think it's a great suggestion. I, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, before we end our interview, Sajay, I wanted to switch gears and focus on, on the internal auditors themselves for a moment. If you could, can you address how the principles of internal auditing need to remain core, but how these, these ever-changing global business environment, uh, you know, it requires that auditors continue to adapt their position to continuously add value to their organizations or or if they don't, they really risk becoming obsolete. So is there any advice you can give to some of these internal auditors? Well, I, I am almost viewing that the, 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 the term IT auditor is probably not true anymore. It's more IT consultants almost. Uh, I see more and more auditors kind of participating in projects where 
they're not true consultants where they're implementing projects, but guiding the group before a certain big project gets implemented. It used to be in the old days, you know, IT implemented a project, uh, they installed it in production, IT audit came back and, and kind of audited it. I think that, although may continue for portion of what we do as part of the audit function where we write reports and we prepare the audit plans and, and, and share the reports with the audit committee, etc. But I think more and more I see the role is because the technology um, is changing so rapidly that when the uh, deployment of these technologies occurs, the IT auditors are getting involved during the, the development and implementation phase of the projects more where they're providing them guidance that, hey, this is, these are the risks we see, these are the governance you probably could uh, uh, think about. So, so they're almost putting, in some projects, consulted at hat. In some organizations, I'm seeing maybe even 30, 40% of their time is spent on these type of projects, where in others it may be only 10 or 15%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like the the word that you use, consultant, because our profession, the internal audit uh, profession in particular, you know, a lot of it seems compliance-driven what we're doing, but really that edge that we do have is we get to see something from inception to completion when it's an implementation project, but more importantly, it's it's guiding strategy. It's being in that consultative role where you're saying, does this really match our culture, the strategy, et cetera? And the ERM framework actually hones in on that because the enterprise risk management framework that COSO has aligns right. that strategy, you know, and it and and we do need to elevate to that strategic level because we will become I I personally believe we will become obsolete. That if you're just a compliance person and all you're doing is ticking and tying without actually thinking about the strategic initiatives behind why something's being done or more importantly what your your peer group is doing or that competitor down the road you you're never going to elevate yourself and or the profession to a whole higher level where someone actually respects your opinion right. and i i think it's it's it, i like the the fact that you said it you know IT auditing really is not the right title and or function it's where am I taking this company to the next level? Yes, there's a compliance component, but really I need to move them uh, to the next level and or outpace the competitor down the road because ultimately that is uh, how best-of-breed companies not only survive, but they thrive. Exactly. Well, this has been just a wonderful interview, Sanjay, and I know everyone listening is very grateful for your insights. Just as a reminder, you can find uh, Sanjay's recent article that was published in the IAA magazine on my blog, avivaspectrum.com forward slash blog. And don't forget about the book. You can get it at Amazon. It's called uh, Defending the Digital Frontier, A Security Agenda. Uh, You can download it on your Kindle as well. This is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.